Grab your Bibles if you would. Happy Palm Sunday, everyone. And I would like to just personally extend an invitation to our Antioch family to join us tonight at 6 p.m. I know Pastor Dan already mentioned this, but I, I would just want to say to you how, how honored and elated I would be if you would join us this evening for our city time of prayer. We're actually going to have a Holy Week service tonight where we will begin, much like the tenor and the tone of this morning service, we will begin with Palm Sunday. But the thing that'll be different is that we're gonna go through the entire Holy Week events and we're gonna do it in one service. So we're gonna hit Good Friday, we're gonna hit the Lord's Supper tonight, we're gonna break bread together and partake of the Lord's table as a city church, which I'm just thrilled about. We're gonna reflect on the cross, we're gonna pray for the lost, and then we're gonna celebrate the resurrection and the commissioning orders of Jesus. And we're gonna all do it in one service as a city church. And it's gonna be fantastic. And uh, if you can make it tonight, I would sure love to have you as we join with other churches in our city. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, this morning to the book of Matthew, book of Matthew, chapter 21, as we take a look at our Palm Sunday passage. And if you are joining us today for the first time, I'd like to personally greet you. My name's Jade Duncan, and my wife and I have the great privilege of leading this incredible group of people called Antioch Church. And we've been on a series since the beginning of the year on the Lord's Prayer, and today being Palm Sunday, which in the scriptures really was the recognition that Jesus was the Messiah. He was who he said that he was, and in so being the Messiah, he was the one to restore and bring God's kingdom to earth. So today we are starting our installment of the Lord's Prayer that goes, thy kingdom come thy will be done. So today we're going to begin for the next several weeks focusing on the kingdom. So before we jump into the word, why don't we pray together this holy prayer? And remember, if we divorce our heart and our faith and our passion and our meaning from this, it really can become just a religious tool. But if we insert faith and if we humble and posture our hearts in this holy prayer, it becomes very powerful, and it really is the most perfect and complete prayer given, us to, given to us by Jesus himself. So let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, amen. Let's begin with Matthew chapter 21. We'll start in verse one. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. He's quoting Zechariah 9.9 here. It says, say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Unlike modern times, a donkey in Hebraic culture and the Jewish people was actually an animal of great royalty. And so what's happening right here in this very moment was actually prophesied hundreds of years prior by a prophet named Zechariah. And you can read this in his book in Zechariah 9.9. These are actu the actual words that are quoted here. And so when, when people of that day and people of that age were actually seeing this unfold, they immediately recognized and knew this is happening. This right here is the fulfillment of that word that Zechariah gave, that our king is coming to us. And I mentioned last week the cultural and contextual significance of this moment. This is, this is massive, you guys. This really is massive. 
This has the same sense of feeling in the air as when all of the children of Israel in 1 Samuel 17 were, were teetering and cowering against the Philistines because their champion, Goliath, was literally uh, releasing this tyrannical spirit of fear and rule all over the people. And then all of a sudden, this young shepherd boy named David arrives on the scene and he defeats this giant. And in defeating this giant, there is this turning of the tide. And when the tide turns, Israel pursues the Philistines. Many years later, David is, is inaugurated as the king of Israel. And upon his inauguration as king and into his kingdom, he restores this broken kingdom. And he also brings great victory over his enemies. Watch right here in Matthew 21, verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They placed their cloaks on them. Jesus sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Why is this so important? Because they knew that the Messiah would come from David's line, from his lineage. And so in saying Hosanna to the son of David, they were essentially saying, we know that the Messiah is going to come from David's line. Hosanna to the son of David. You are the Messiah that we've longed for and waited for that has been prophesied in our culture, from our prophets, from our kings, all the way dating back to Moses and Abraham. You're the one that we've been looking for. That was what was happening here in this moment. You're the one who's going to deliver us from Rome. You're the one who's going to come and slay the giant of Roman rule and oppression, much like David slayed the giant and then turned the tide of establishing Israel as a great liberated nation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and they asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I, I wanna talk with you just for a few minutes that we have together about the kingdom of God. We know in the Lord's prayer, the scripture says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy or your kingdom come. Jesus actually instructs us to pray this. He says, when you pray, one of the most appropriate things for you to do is number one, acknowledge who God is. And we've spent weeks on acknowledging who God is as father. We've spent weeks acknowledging that he's not just my God, he's our God. There's a corporate dimension and nature to our faith. And, 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 and we've established that. We've established that not only is he an imminent God, he's a father who's close. He's also a transcendent God that supersedes this world. He supersedes the laws of nature and earth. And then the first petition that he gives to us is he says, now I want you to begin thinking about the things that are on my heart. I want you to begin thinking about the things that are important to me. I want you to begin thinking about the things that I want to do in the world that's called my kingdom. I want you as my sons and daughters to begin tapping in and getting into agreement and participation with me and actually making, heaven, or making earth look like heaven. And so in order for us to understand all this, we've got to really zoom out into the entire lens of scripture and, and, and take a survey of what I call developing a kingdom theology. So turn with me, we're going to look at a number of scriptures today. Look with me, if you would, at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We have to understand that when, and I mentioned this in my prayer, that when the people there at that very moment were shouting, Hosanna. That word is a very interesting word, and without going into all the historical context of it, very simply, that word is, is, is a carryover from a word that was used in the Old Testament in the Psalms. And when that word was used, it was essentially transliterated from the language of that time in the Psalms. But when it was used in the Psalms, it was used as a petition where people would say, deliver me, God, save me, help me. You see, you'll see David say this a lot. You'll see many of the psalmists reference this a lot. God, save me from my enemies. Save me from this pit of destruction that I'm in. Deliver me from my despair. You'll see this word. And now what's happening in this moment is over time, this, this, this word has been 
transliterated now, not only to this request for help and request for deliverance, it has come at this moment to be known as a declaration. Not only am I saying, God, save me, I'm saying, God, you have saved me. When the Messiah has come, you are going to deliver us from our enemies and you have saved us and saved us indeed. And so we shout in excitement and victory and faith, you have saved us, Hosanna. That's what's going on right here. Well, it, it bears, it bears uh, investigation because the word salvation itself, to the, if, if, I'm, if I say that God has saved you, the very first question that we would ask, well, what has he indeed saved me from? And the natural answer I think that all of us would probably give is, well, he saved us from our sins. And I'd like to propose to you that he's actually saved us from something much broader than just our personal sin. So look with me, if you would, at Colossians chapter one. And why don't we begin here at verse 12. A lot of different context here before and after these two verses that I'm going to read. What I'd like to propose to you very simply is that he didn't just save you as an individual from your sin. He saved us as a people and he saved the entire created order from the dominion or the kingdom of Satan. That's what he saved us from. Colossians 1 verse 12, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. He has qualified you, which means that at one point prior to our Messiah, prior to this God becoming king, prior to Jesus taking on flesh, being fully God, fully man, dying upon a cross, breaking the power of death through the resurrection, we were disqualified to enter into the kingdom of God. But because of this great king, he has now qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Verse 13, for he has rescued us. He has delivered us. He has hosannaed us. He has saved us from the dominion of darkness. That's very powerful here. Now the word dominion there. And I didn't know this, but for a few months ago, we were actually at a life group leader meeting having a conversation about the difference between power and authority. There is a difference in the scriptures between those two words, power and authority. The word power very simply means ability. The word, the word there is dunamis, and it transliterates into the word dynamite. So when you think dynamite, what do you think? You think explosive power. You think force. You think capability to move and impact and get something done, but that's not the word here. The scriptures doesn't say that he delivered us from the power of the devil. It says he delivered us from the authority. The word is exousia, where we get the word executive or execute. It means the legal permission to use power. It means the legal permission to get something done. And the analogy I like to use here a lot is a police officer. If I'm driving in my vehicle and a police officer is standing in the middle of the road, I have more power than that man. I, the, 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 the force and the power within my vehicle could, could, could harm him. But what I lack is the authority or the legal permission and the legal right to use that force and to use that power because that uniform and that badge, he may not have power, but what he has is authority. And him standing there, putting his arm out right there, is he is saying this, he is saying, as I stand right now, though your power may be greater, my authority connects me to a greater power. So you might run over me right now, but because of who I'm submitted under, because of who I have submitted myself underneath, there is always greater power connected to the authority that you've submitted yourself to. We find this in Matthew chapter eight when there's a Roman centurion and his servant is homesick and he goes to Jesus and he says, hey, will you pray for my sick servant? And Jesus says, yes, I will go to your home. And the Roman centurion says, you don't even have to go to my home because I too am a man under authority. Here's what this Roman centurion understood. He understood that even though he may not have the power in that moment, as long as he stayed under Roman authority, 
Whatever he said went because he was connected to a greater power source as long as he remained under authority. So the battle of the ages has always been the battle for authority. It's never been the battle for power. But the enemy wants you to believe that the battle is for power. And so in Genesis chapter three, let's just go there here if we would, and I'm starting to feel my help come on this morning. And I might have to take this off and pick up the handheld because a different anointing kicks in on the handheld mic than on the lavalier. Genesis chapter three, we see the enemy come into the scene and he says right here, we're gonna begin in verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What is he doing? He's questioning the authority that they're under. Now, God created the world for a purpose. He created the world to extend the borders and the parameters of his kingdom. He created the world so that the world could display the glory of God. He created the world because every great king wants to see that his kingdom is expanded. No king wants to see his kingdom diminished. And so he creates this world to reveal his glory. He creates mankind to reveal his glory and to steward the world that he created. Listen, we need to understand that God loves the world and that God's not trying to burn up and incinerate and destroy the world and abandon it. The world that we're gonna live in after the resurrection is this world that we live in now because the world is one of God's great masterpieces. And why would you create a masterpiece and then set it on fire and walk away? That doesn't make any sense. There will be a new heavens and a new earth and that new earth will be the earth that we're living in here. We should be some of the greatest proponents of stewardship and environmentalism. We really should. You know, and just to digress here just for a few moments, you know, as we look at the political landscape and as we look at certain ideologies and value systems that, that one party holds, and as we look at certain ideologies and value systems that the other party holds, the kingdom is not polarized. The kingdom says, you know what, we're, we are supposed to take care of the poor and you guys have done a horrible job, but we are also supposed to raise people up in self-government and help them move forward and you guys have done a horrible job. And we're also supposed to take care of the world and we're supposed to take care of the environment and we're supposed to care about this world that we live in and we're also supposed to take care of humans. And it's not polarized in the kingdom. It's both and. That's why the kingdom is what we ought to be focusing on in this day and this hour. So the enemy comes to this woman and he begins to question the authority structure that she lives under. Did God or did your authority, did your authority really say that you can't touch any tree in the garden? And look at her response. The woman said, verse two, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. I, I can't go into this, but you need to understand that inherent within authority is limitation and boundaries. Inherent within authority is limitation and boundaries. And there is something, and I'm gonna show you here, there's something that is in you and it's in me and it's in every human. It's called the seed of rebellion that began here. And it's a resistance against authority because we don't like boundaries. And we don't like limitations and we don't like anyone telling us we can or can't or when or how or why. We wanna be the, our own gods and determine what we can or can't do. And that, that, that is the seed that lies within the human race. Verse four, look at the enemy. You will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God knowing good and evil. You know what he was doing? He was sowing a seed of distrust in her against her authority. This is so important. You can't miss this right here. You will not surely die. In other words, your authority is not trustworthy. Your authority is not telling you the truth. Your king is duplicitous. Your king is deceptive. Your king's just trying to manipulate you. Your authority's just trying to control you. And isn't that the age old lie that we buy into in our disdain for authority? Y'all can't trust authority because authority always gonna control you, manipulate you, right? Come on, talk to me this morning. That's what's going on right here. This is a human disease. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. You will be like God. So the enemy doesn't play to authority. He says, eat this and you will be like God, which means you can have power. You can have power. One ring to bind them. Power. It's always in the human heart about power. It's never about authority because authority means by definition you must submit. Authority means by definition that you have to be under because you cannot have authority and not be under authority. The only way you can have authority is if you've submitted to someone else's authority. Essentially, you're just borrowing someone else's authority to really have authority. You cannot really have authority without being underneath someone else's authority. And we don't like to be under someone else's authority, so the, the thing that we go for is power. You'll be like God. You'll be like God. You'll be like God. You won't have to submit to him. You won't have to say yes, sir. You won't have to say no, sir, because whatever you want to happen, you can do it. You don't need God. You can be your own God because you can have power. The, the issue's always been about power with the enemy. But in God's economy, the way kingdoms run, they're not ran by power, they're ran by authority. This is why when our God became king, he came to restore legal authority to his righteous representatives on his created order. Let's go to Matthew. We'll begin in chapter four. And I am running out of time fast. Matthew chapter four. Somebody said, don't say that. You're right. Matthew chapter four. Jesus, actually, you know what? To really, to really understand what's going on here, we should look at Matthew chapter three. And we should look here at verse, at verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, which in and of itself was an act of submission. When we talk about baptism, we'll talk more about the submissive nature of what baptism is. You're essentially saying, I, I'm submitting, I'm surrendering, I'm laying down my rights into something to belong to something greater than myself. I'm dying to my need for power. I'm submitting and yielding to a greater authority. That's what baptism is all about. But John tried to deter him saying, whoa, I need to be baptized by you because I know that you have authority and I don't. But here's what John didn't realize here in that moment. He had a revelation of who Jesus was, partially, had a revelation of who Jesus was, but Jesus understood that at that moment, John possessed an ecclesiastical authority that was given to him by God on the earth, in the realm of the earth. John possessed the legal permission to ordain Jesus. Now, there's, there's, there's lots that we can talk about there. Jesus replied, let this be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill righteousness. Righteousness and authority are always connected. You cannot be out of authority and be righteous. You cannot be unyielding and unsubmissive and, and rebelling against the God-ordained structure of authority that God has set up. Now, we understand that there is a conversation to be had and there's biblical exposition to be done on what those God-ordained structures are and, and there will be much that goes into that. But principally speaking, we have to understand, and I realize there's been a lot of abuse and I wanna be very, very cautious and I'm gonna be very, very balanced here. But the principle that is taking place here is that Jesus says, I'm must submit to the delegated authority from heaven to earth because this is righteous. This is right in the eyes of God. So John consented. How do you argue against the king of the world? Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water and at that moment, heaven was open. The favor of God, the demonstrable, visible activity of heaven in the earth realm was taking place. Heaven opens up and he saw the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descending and landing on Jesus. In verse 17, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Now we always bring up this particular passage of scripture as it relates to sonship, but we have to understand that sonship and authority, the spirit and the heart and the mindset of orphanism does not submit to authority, God-given authority. Sons 
And the spirit of sonship is the spirit of submission and yielding to authority. And again, I have to teach more on that so that that doesn't get abused. Look at chapter four. Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Let me fast forward here. There's, a, there's three temptations that take place. On the last temptation, we'll fast forward to verse eight. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world. And what, is the, what does the devil do? What does the devil do with Jesus right here? He shows him all the kingdoms and, and there's a number of ideas on what those kingdoms could be. You know, if, even if you think about the mountains or the structures of influence in a society, there are kingdoms like uh, sports. There are kingdoms like entertainment, business. That's a kingdom. It is a kingdom. And the enemy knows. The enemy knows. Why do you think, why do you think the enemy works so hard to keep people in poverty? Because he understands the power of resources to liberate and the power of resources to, 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 to see God's plans happen in the earth or not. Don't, don't, don't tell me that resources don't make a difference in the earth. They make a ton of a difference. And if you don't believe me, I'll take you to some places around the world when you'll look at their lives and you'll say, this, this doesn't look like the kingdom because resources matter. And there's a kingdom called business. And there's a kingdom called education. And there's a kingdom called family. And that's why the enemy works so hard to bring sexual confusion and gender confusion. And he works so hard to destroy the fabric of family because a family is a kingdom. And so the enemy comes to Jesus. And at that time, they could have been different types of kingdoms, but similar in nature. And he comes and he says, listen, all the kingdoms of the world, look at all the kingdoms of the world. This is what the enemy says. I'll give them to you. Now, Jesus Never called his bluff. He didn't say, you ain't got no kingdoms. You don't even possess those. You can't give me something you don't have. He never does that. He doesn't do it. The implication could be that the enemy really did possess those kingdoms. Well, where did he get those kingdoms? He got them from Adam. Because the legal authority to steward and govern and rule the earth came from God to his son and daughter. Are we, are we together on this? He was the legal Gatekeeper. He was the legal representative, the ambassador from heaven sent as the first man to this world to govern this world by the wisdom and the will submitted to God to bring the value structure and system of heaven into the earth. And the enemy says, I got it. I got the keys. I got the keys. Keys in the scripture always represent authority. They always represent authority. Dan, Dan, if Dan, Dan, if I gave Dan my keys right there, see, so you got to be under authority. If I give Dan my keys, I have given him my authority. I've given him authority to this building, which means he has the legal right to come into this building as we have submitted to the authority of this building, CSCS. They have given us legal right to enter into this building with limitations. And the way that they transact that authority is with a key. You now have authority to open doors. You have authority to lock doors. If you don't lock the doors that we need you to lock, you're not going to have authority anymore. We're going to take your keys back. He can enter into my house. In fact, as one of my closest friends and trusted brothers, I, he has a key to my house. Not those keys, another key. I went, I copied a key. I said, listen, if anything happens, I need you to go into my house. You have the legal permission to enter into my house whenever you want. He could exercise power and take a rock and break a window, but he would be entering illegally. Or he could receive, see, Pap, see, authority is always received, it's never taken. This is why I teach my sons, sons don't take, sons receive. Sons don't demand, sons receive. This is why when you approach a leader who's an authority, don't make demands, don't go, hey, call me back. Say, hey, would you, could you call me back? You don't say, hey, I need you to meet with me. You would say, hey, would you be willing to meet with me? Why is that? Because sons never take, they always receive. Simple things that I promise you, if you will walk in that level of sonship and submission in your businesses, favor will come. Authority will come. Because sons don't make demands and sons don't steal and sons don't manipulate, sons receive. Which, which implies a level of trust. Because in order to receive, you have to be patient upon the one who is going to distribute that which you feel like you need. I'm preaching way better than you guys are talking back to me this morning. 
So that's why, look with me if you would in Matthew chapter 16, and I can just tell you right now, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna exercise my authority and go a few minutes after. And you can exercise yours by leaving whenever you need to. Matthew chapter 16, look with me at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Why is this important? Because your authority is connected to who you know. Your authority is not connected necessarily in what you know, it's connected to who you know. Because we don't receive our authority from a thing, we receive our authority from a person. That's why he says, who do people say the son of man is? And then he says, who do you say the son of man is? Because I need to make sure that you have the right revelation of who I am. Because if you don't have the right revelation, I can't give you the keys. Because if you don't have the right revelation of who I am, you'll misrepresent me with the keys that I give to you. Let me pause right here and let you understand this, that when Jesus gives us authority, he always gives it to us commensurate which means equal to or parallel to our maturity. This is why things like everyday's training day, this is why things like submission to leaders, this is why things like a process are so important. Why? Because it's in the process and it's learning how to serve another person and it's learning how to accept when someone says no that you become trustworthy to steward greater measures of authority. We see this in the military all the time. If you can't submit to another man's authority, you will not get promoted to steward more authority. And if that does happen, very bad things take place. And some of you can attest to that as well. Matthew chapter 16, moving forward. Let's look at verse 17. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man. Much more to say about that in terms of revelation. But this was revealed to you by my father, the ultimate authority who dwells in the realm of heaven, who gives authority to sons and daughters for the stewardship of the earth. That's my little commentary. Verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, the rock of the revelation of who I am, and really we could say the rock of sonship, the rock of understanding who I am as the son of man, the rock of the revelation that I was submitted to the father, the rock of the revelation that you now are a son in my kingdom. On this revelation, you can build. Can't build without authority. And he says, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In other words, the enemy only works with power. The enemy cannot violate, he, he cannot operate in the realm of authority. He cannot overcome authority with his power. This is important for us to understand when we get into things like deliverance ministry and, and cleaning out lands and territories. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven so that whatever you do on earth, heaven will back it up. Where are the keys from? Where are they, where are they operated in? But watch this, whatever you bind where? Where will it be bound? which means that as long as you stay under authority, heaven's power will back up what you do on the earth. Look with me, if you would, at Luke chapter 10. Hallelujah. And we're gonna begin at verse 18. The context here, read the whole chapter. Jesus sends his disciples out on their missionary journey. By the way, we bless Team Nicaragua, who is in Atlanta right now. Uh, on their way to Nicaragua here in a few hours. They have gone out under authority. They have walked through a process. They've been vetted. They've gone through interviews, applications. They've gone through training. They've raised money. Hands have been laid onto them, which is a symbolic form of the transmission of authority. And now they go blessed and covered. Isn't that awesome? Verse, verse uh, 18, he replied. Uh, let's go here to verse 16. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. He who rejects me rejects him who sent me. What is this? This is authority. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. He who rejects me rejects my authority. This whole thing is about permission. Look at verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. This authority thing is awesome. 
He's like, slow down, guys. Easy, easy. Low <laughs> authority. By the way, you'll always, authority reveals a person's character perhaps more than anything else. It reveals a person's character. You think you'll know somebody and then you, you promote them to a position where they have authority. And if they've not been tested properly in the season where they were supposed to submit to authority, in other words, if they submitted externally but not internally, when they get authority, it will really reveal the true nature of their character. So this is what Jesus says. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you, now this is difficult because depending on which translation you have, they may translate them different ways. In the NIV, it says, I have given you authority. Some translations say power and it's actually not the most accurate because here again is our word exousia. He says, I have given you exousia. I have given you the executive permission to trample on snakes and scorpions. In other words, as long as you stay submitted, I will back you up with my power. You don't have to worry about your power. I will give you my power. All right, that's, that's, that's an awesome promise. To trample on snakes and scorpions, which is symbolic of the demonic. Listen, you don't have to be afraid of the demonic. You just have to stay submitted under the authority of Jesus Stay righteous, stay clean, stay, 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 submit, stay forgiven of sin. Cleanse your heart and your mind of sin. Don't allow there to be any, any known sin in your life. The blood of Jesus will cover you and will authorize you with the authority to access his power over the demonic. Nothing will harm you. Look right here, don't miss this. He says, I will give you authority to overcome all of the what? Power of the enemy. I will give you authority to overcome his power power. Are we making the connections here? All right. So here's what we have to understand. Colossians chapter one, verse 12 through 14, Jesus says, you've been translated out of the dominion or you've been translated out from underneath the authority of the enemy. What does that mean? It meant before Christ became king and came to the earth through his death and resurrection, it means that the enemy had the legal permission to rule and execute his power in your life. Any person who is not saved, the enemy has the legal authority to execute his power against them. Now here's the thing, the enemy will still try to execute his power against you. But if you are a son of God, he's doing it illegally. And if he's doing it illegally, you can arrest him because you have the legal permission to execute power against him. He's not allowed to touch your family. He's not allowed to touch your finances. He's not allowed to afflict you. The devil ain't in everything because he's not allowed to be. He's gonna try. And that's why we have to have the proper knowledge and revelation that God has given to us as his sons and daughters. So all throughout scripture, we find that Jesus went about teaching about the kingdom. He started off his ministry and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Matthew chapter 13, the kingdom is like yeast. The kingdom is like a seed. The kingdom is like a merchant. The kingdom is like a pearl. He's always talking about the kingdom. So let me just go, I gotta, I gotta hit a couple more passages very, very quickly. John chapter three. John chapter three. And then we'll jump back into Matthew and Acts and maybe Ephesians. <laughs> John chapter three, uh, the, the first verse here, just for us understanding the context, there is a religious leader of that day named Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus at night because he doesn't want people to know that he's associating with Jesus. He engages in a conversation. We'll pick it up in verse three. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom unless he's born again. Now remember, baptism is a picture of being born again, which is a picture of submission, which is our access into sonship. Did you catch all that? Sonship is submission. It just is. It's submission to the lordship of God, our father. So here's what Jesus is saying. He is saying this thing called the kingdom of God, my rule, my territory, my domain, my government, my reign in the heavens and on the earth, it is impossible for you to even see it properly if you've not been born again. In other words, if you're not a son, you're not gonna see my kingdom. You're, you're, gonna, you're gonna be suspicious. 
You're going to see things as you're going to, you're going to see things as people trying to coerce or control. Not only that, you're not going to have the legal authority to bring my kingdom into the earth. You have to be born again. Now, here's the thing that we focused on. For years in evangelicalism, we have focused on being born again. We have focused on Easter being the cross and the resurrection so I, personal, can be saved from my sins so that I could experience life, peace, prosperity, welfare, goodness for me and my four and no more. But Jesus never talked about personal salvation. He always talked about the kingdom, personal salvation being a door into the kingdom. Are you understanding this today? So this Easter season, when we celebrate our risen Savior, praise God for what he did in your life, but he did it for you to bring you into a greater family so that he could use that family to bring a kingdom. So you belong to a kingdom. And the only way that you can see the kingdom is if you're born again, born into a family. That's scripture, y'all. How could a man be born when he is old? See, he's, he can't even see this. He's still thinking naturally. He's thinking physically. How can a man be born when he's old? Is he going to go back into his mother's womb and be born? Come on, Nicodemus. Seriously? Look at Jesus' response. Verse 5, I tell you the truth. I would have said a little something different there if I were Jesus, and that's why he's Jesus I'm not. I'll tell you, you knucklehead, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. So not only can you not see it, you cannot enter it. This whole thing is about Jesus inaugurating his kingdom into the world. All right, two more passages of scripture. Matthew chapter 28. Come on, you guys having fun today? Happy Palm Sunday, everyone. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has been beaten, he has been associated as a criminal, he has been an innocent man, he has been flogged, tortured, he's been murdered for our sins as we have read in Isaiah 53 today. And he did this, yes, so that he could heal us, yes, so that he could forgive us, but he did this, those things are simply benefits and byproducts of a kingdom. We have made healing and personal salvation the kingdom. And he says, listen, that's just part of being in the kingdom. My son asked me for some Cheetos. He's going to get Cheetos, but Cheetos ain't the family. It's not the kingdom. It's just simply a nice benefit of being a part of the kingdom. Come on. And that's what we do. Just begging for the scraps at Longshank's table. <laughs> Verse 17 when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and he says, God, this is so fun. How much authority has been given to Jesus? Where? In heaven and on earth. Do you know why Jesus had to become a man? He already had authority in heaven. Satan didn't take authority from the heavens. Satan went through the gatekeeper who was on earth. So Jesus then had to relegate himself to become a legal representative on the earth. Why did Jesus think about the humiliation that Philippians 2 talks about? Why did he have to become this poor, broken man who was born in a manger? Why did he do that? He went through these hoops so that he could legally and humbly receive authority. Where? on the earth. And the way that he did that was through obedience as a son to the father. Not my will, if you can cause this cup to pass over, but not my will. In other words, I'm not taking authority right now. I could. He was on the cross and they said, if you really are the son of man, go ahead and bring yourself down. Then we'll believe in you. Remember that? If you really are the son of man, exercise your authority. If you really are the son of man, cause stones to become bread. Use your authority. Use your authority. Sons never have to prove themselves and sons never abuse authority. Because sons have been constrained through submission to godly government in their lives. And sons prioritize obedience. Obedience is the access point to authority in the earth. If you can't obey, you can't steward authority. That's why Jesus says, I don't have to perform for you jackals. 
because you're not my authority. I submit to a greater authority. And this is what he says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, go, disciple nations, disciple business, disciple education, turn the family culture around to redeem entertainment in the earth, redeem an understanding of what my kingdom is. How can we do that if we don't have permission to do that? We can't, but now we have it, we have it. But listen, by way of the authority that Jesus has given us, we also have something else. Go to Acts chapter one with me. Yay, 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 yay. Oh, I wish I had time to show you that at a particular part of our development, we're given increments of authority so that we can access his power, but then God will actually trust us to steward power. That's why we see here, Jesus, look at verse one, chapter one. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen, authority. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about what? Personal salvation, personal healing, personal deliverance. You're forgiven of your sins. Be a better person. Be a better you. No. He spoke to him about the kingdom. I brought, I, I, I redeemed you. I cleaned you. I made you righteous. You're in my family. Now let's get about the father's business and let's get this kingdom here onto the earth again. Let's make up for all the lost time that was wasted from Adam till now. But then look right here. Listen, oh man, I just love this. These guys still, they, they still don't get it. They will, but they don't. So look at verse four, on one occasion while he was eating, he gave the, the command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait, authority, for the gift that my father promised, which you heard me speak about. What if they went out in their own authority, trying to exercise power to bring his church into the world and they didn't wait? They did not yield, they did not submit, they did not constrain, they were not in the upper room. Would they have received the power that was promised to them? No, that's why we see in the book of Acts later, a couple of jokers named sons of Sceva come and they say, hey, 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 in, 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 in the Jesus that Paul preaches, huh? Go get out. And those demons are like, <laughs> we've got so much power. You have none. And because you're not under proper government, we have complete access to destroy you and destroy them they did. You gotta stay under authority if you want power. So this is what they said there. Verse five, uh, let's look at verse six. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still not thinking about the greater picture that, that they still missed in Matthew chapter 21. We're tying it back to the triumphal entry. Jesus came as a king and they said, you are our Messiah. He says, no, I'm not your Messiah. I am the world's Messiah. I am the Messiah to the nations. When are you gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? Guys, it's much bigger than restoring the kingdom to Israel. It is about the Gentiles and about all nations becoming sons and daughters. So then he says in verse eight, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. How can the Holy Spirit comes on us? The Holy Spirit only comes upon sons and daughters. The Holy Spirit only comes upon those that are submitted and yielded to proper authority, God's authority in their life. And then this is what he says. If you're under authority, I can trust you with power. Three years he was with these men. Three years he was telling them no. Three years he was sending them through training. Three years he was teaching them how to be sons. Three years he was trying to find out whether or not they could be under authority. 11 were, one wasn't. Judas was not a man who could stay submitted to authority. That's why he stole from the treasury. That's why he went to the Pharisees. That's why he tried to turn the upper hand because he was not a man yielded to authority. Jesus was trying to find people vetted by the power of authority so that he could give them power and trust them with it. Come on, let's stand to our feet this morning. What do we do with this, you might ask? Have fun. What do we do now? <laughs> I'm gonna go pick a fight. No, don't go pick fights. 
What do we do now? We continue to honor our resurrected King. We continue to look at life as understanding that everything that God has done is not about our personal salvation. It is about a great kingdom. We continue to be students of this kingdom. We continue to honor and recognize who Christ is as our Lord. We continue to mature as sons and daughters in the processes that God has given to us. See, here's a man in authority. Oh, I say, come, he comes. I say, go, he goes. <laughs> under authority, under authority. I want, to, I want to be a man under authority, you guys. And listen, you want to be a person under authority. Okay, the issue here, listen, don't, be caught, don't get caught up with power. Don't get caught up with positions. Don't rush your process. You know what the process is? The process is a form of authority and government in your life that is designed in order to be able to entrust you with greater power. That's what your process is. Don't shortcut it. That's what the issue was in the desert. Fast forward your process. Take authority now, seize it. Sons don't take authority, they receive it. So let's hold out our hands this morning. And Father, today in the name of Jesus, we thank you that because of what our great King has done, you purchased authority for us again. You righted the wrongs in the cosmos. You went back and you took from that thief and that trespasser, Satan, and you got the keys. And now, you don't just give us all the keys. God doesn't give us sovereign authority that we can do whatever, whenever, however we want. He gives us increments of authority based on the sonship of our obedience. And so today we yield. We say, Father, teach us sonship. Teach us obedience, teach us submission, teach us love, teach us trust, teach us to honor your government because we want to operate in legitimate authority to exercise your power so that your kingdom could come. And so let's say together, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Have a great Holy Week, guys. Bless you. Love you. Go in the peace of the Lord.